Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Good morning, friends. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. And in just a moment, we are going to read verses 21 through 26. And I am thrilled that you are joining us online this morning, wherever you might be, or if you're watching on television on NBC. We are grateful that you have chosen to worship with us. And now we are deep into our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you've missed anything thus far, go back on our website, discoverfbc.org, or download our podcast. Because as I have mentioned every week so far, that if you want to stay up to date with where we are going, if you want to get the full impact of what Jesus is teaching, then in this Sermon on the Mount, you have to remember that each section builds on the previous section. And so if you want to get a full flavor of what Jesus is trying to teach us, then you need to be with us each and every single week. But this week, we are covering some new ground, and so it is right, it is fitting that we begin with these words of the master teacher, Jesus himself, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, then leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. And then... Come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So friends, we are reaching this moment in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is beginning to dive into practical matters of the human heart, right? Jesus at this point has kind of set the stage for who is blessed, what are those who are blessed, what are we called to do in the world, and now in this section and for the remainder of chapter 5, what Jesus is doing is laying out sort of practical examples 
of what a transformed human heart is supposed to look like. So Jesus says these incredible things in this section. And there are three things, three primary topics that for the remainder of chapter five, Jesus is going to be talking about. Today, he talks about anger. Next week, David Hughes is going to be preaching about sexuality. And then in the the week to follow, I am going to be talking about relationships. So, so now Jesus is shifting gears a little bit, and, and instead of addressing sort of broad topics, he's digging in to the grit and the grind of everyday life. And that is one of those things, friends, that I just absolutely love about Jesus is he is concerned, not with theological matters in the abstract, but what we know from the Sermon on the Mount and from the life of Jesus is that again and again and again, what we find is that he is concerned with life lived well. He is concerned with life that is filled with joy and with possibility and with hope. And that is what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 through 26, but also the remainder of the chapter. And so Jesus says this incredible thing, right? You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, but I say unto you, anyone who has anger with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Man, this is incredible teaching. And and here's where I want to stop for just a moment and give us a little bit of warning as we move forward. Because if you're anything like me, the way you were taught to read the Sermon on the Mount is to read it, as I talked about in week one, as a new law, as a new list of things that we are required by Jesus to do if we say we want to be Christian. So you have heard that it was said, don't murder, but I say unto you, don't get angry. I say unto you, don't call someone a fool. And so the way we have been taught to read, in particular, these next sections of the Sermon on the Mount is to read them as a new law. Okay, Jesus says don't murder, got that. Jesus says don't get angry, eh, don't know if I've got that. Jesus says don't call anyone a fool. Okay, what else can I call them instead? And we make it a list of things that we are supposed to do or not do. And what I want you to understand, as I talked about in week one, is that if we approach the Sermon on the Mount, and this section in particular, with that mindset, we are fundamentally missing the point. That is not what Jesus is attempting to do. And what I want us, we desperately have to understand as we enter into our time together today, is that this section on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about anger within the human heart. He is not giving us a list of rules to follow. But these sections and verses and these words of Jesus, instead they are concrete examples of the kind of people that we are invited to become when the kingdom of God begins to take root in our life. This is not a list of rules to follow, but it is an invitation to live in a fundamentally different way. And the section here is a practical example of what that looks like. So Jesus says, you, if your heart 
has been transformed by the goodness and the grace of the kingdom of God, not only will you not murder, but you will be able to live in such a way that anger does not permeate your heart and anger does not reside continually within your mind. It's an invitation. And the fact of the matter is, friends, when most of us read this section in the Sermon on the Mount, we actually probably feel a little bit of shock. We probably feel just a little bit of trepidation because we, I don't think this is a controversial statement at all, we currently live in a world that is fueled by anger. And so when Jesus says the kingdom way to live is one that doesn't uh, consume itself with anger and vengeance and vitriol, that's a little bit shocking for us because Western culture, American culture, currently in the moment we find ourselves, friends, it is one that is just fueled by anger. If you simply turn on your car radio, I talk about this a lot. If you turn on your radio in the car as you're driving from one destination to another, and you can listen to any, uh, any different political commentator, not just in your car, but go home at night and, and cut on cable news. It can be Tucker Carlson. It can be Rachel Maddow or whoever your flavor of the day is. And when you listen to these people, let's not even talk about their politics. Let's just talk about their rhetoric. What you hear is that they are fueled by an intense and a passionate anger. And we are taught that not only are they angry, but you are supposed to be angry as well. And so we live in a culture where there are protests, and then there are protests about protests, and then we talk about how we are uncomfortable and angry with the protests, and you get where I'm going. It's not just the talking heads on the radio and on television, but also, friends, those conversations of anger I'm beginning to hear in pastoral conversation that they are dominating the dinner tables of our community. And I hear about people who have lost friends over issues of vaccination and masking And there are people who are angry on all sides. And it seems as though we have reached a cultural moment that anger fuels the day. I was was in Gainesville just a few weeks ago, and I was sitting down with one of my best friends growing up, and we were just catching up on life. And then as it tends to do, attention and conversation begins to shift, and we talk about the news. And my friend looks at me, and and there's a story on the screen in the place we're having breakfast. And the story on the screen is all about how New York City is now requiring your vaccination card in order to go to gyms, in order to go to restaurants, in order to go to Broadway shows. And the news story is talking about it. And my friend, man, our gentle and kind conversation all of a sudden gets to be incredibly angry. And he says, well, look at what's going on in New York. And they're requiring vaccination cards to go do all this stuff. And he's just, dude, you can see his anger rising. And my heart's starting to beat fast. And his head's starting to sweat. And then there was this moment where I stopped him. And I said, yo, man, can I ask you a quick question? When's the last time you've been to New York? And he said, well, well I've, I've never been to New York. And then I, I said, well, well, then... 
I got another question. When's the last time you left Gainesville? And he said, well, it's been uh, about three years since I've left Gainesville. And I had a moment where I looked at him, I said, dude, why do you care? Why are you so mad about something that has no impact on your life? And it was funny because after a few minutes of sitting and talking about it, what he realized is he is angry because that is the sentiment of our day. And we are living in a culture that is filled with rage and anger. And so we really desperately need to listen to Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is, friends, these words that he gives us, they are completely at odds with the world in which we live. And so he says to us, if you want to live well, I've given you an invitation. I've invited you in to the kingdom of God and its beautiful manifestation in the world. And if you want to live that way, friends, then there is no room for anger in a heart that has experienced the gospel. And so his words are completely at odds with the culture in which we live. And we who are here today as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to remember that not only is he the greatest teacher who has ever lived, but he is God. And as we talked about in week one, it is his words and his actions that fundamentally shape how we see the world. And so we need to listen to Jesus during this section in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I said as well last week, that this Sermon on the Mount, it's important for us to remember that each section builds on the section that came before it. And so Jesus lays out for us people who are invited into the kingdom, and now is its manifestation of how it will look in the world. And the first thing he starts with is this, that as we seek to live into the fullness of who God calls us to be, as we seek to live this kingdom way in the world, the first thing we have to deal with is anger. The first thing we have to deal with is contempt. And it, when we deal with those things, it is only in wake of that discussion are we prepared to move and talk about sexuality. Are we prepared to move and talk about relationship and violence and other things that follow in the Sermon on the Mount? But Jesus says to us, and we have to listen to him as we begin this section in the Sermon on the Mount, that if we want to live into the fullness of the kingdom, then first and foremost, we have to deal with the state of our hearts. Because here's what Jesus knows, that the elimination of anger and contempt is the first and fundamental step toward living the kingdom life that Jesus invites us to experience. We have to deal with the anger that resides in, are you ready for it? Each and every one of our hearts. And so Jesus says, you have heard that it was said actually in the book of Exodus, you shall not murder and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. And then he begins this three-part movement where he says, okay, that was the old way of what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. But now with my arrival, with my transformative power, I'm showing you a better way forward. I'm showing you a new righteousness. 
a new way to live, a new way to be. And he says it isn't enough simply to not murder, but I am inviting you into a life that isn't filled with anger. And so if you have anger in your heart, if you have anger towards your brother or your sister, Jesus says, then you, using the exact same language as murder in the Old Testament, Jesus says you are subject to judgment. And we all know that feeling of anger where someone has done something to us or maybe something didn't go our way. And anger at some level is fundamental to human existence. And on its own, it's not a bad thing. But Jesus understands that for almost all of us, the inclination inside of our hearts is to experience that angry feeling and then enact it out into the world. And to take our anger out on other people and other things. And Jesus says, when you allow that anger to manifest in the world, then friends, the kingdom is not with you. Jesus says that it's one thing to get angry, but he then, and the next movement goes even further. And he says, you have heard that it was said, don't be angry with a brother or sister. And if you do, you're subject to judgment. And then he says, if you say, if you even say raka to someone else, then you are subject to judgment. And in the context in which Jesus is writing this, this word, raka, it's an Aramaic word. And essentially, it's a word of contempt. It's a word where you look at someone and you say, you twit, you fool, you jerk, you idiot, you loser. And Jesus says, it's not simply enough to not be angry, but the invitation to the kingdom of God will simply free you of looking at another human being and saying to them that they are contemptible, that they are beyond redemption, that they are worthless. Jesus says, when you look at another human being, with that lens of contempt. Well then, my friends, the kingdom way of life is slipping out of your grasp and you are giving in to the way of culture, of anger and vitriol. You've heard that it was said, do not murder and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. Jesus goes on to say, but I say unto you, if anyone's angry with a brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. If anyone says raka to another human being, you will be subject to judgment. And then he makes that third part in the movement where he says, and I say unto you, anyone who says to another human being, you fool, is in danger of the fires of hell. He begins with anger and then he moves to contempt, which is the next step. Anger manifests itself into another human being, and it becomes contempt and judgment and anger towards them. And then this final moment where Jesus says, anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fires of hell. 
Now, you fool, to call someone that in context is simply to write them off. A fool, says the proverb, is the one who says in their heart that there is no God. A fool is beyond redemption. A fool is beyond repair. A fool, in the context and the culture of Jesus, it was essentially calling someone a couple of names that I can't use on television because they might get bleeped and online because I am a pastor. <laughs> you fool. It's essentially to say that you are the enemy and your life isn't valuable and you are the scum of the earth. You don't deserve my attention and I simply wish you were dead. Jesus says when you combining anger and contempt, reach this moment where your heart is filled with animosity and anger. You fool. It is in that moment where you are in danger of the fires of hell. Listen to me, friends. When you talk about sin, see, lots of preachers want to talk about sin. Lots of church people want preachers to talk more about sin. And today, right now in this moment, anger, contempt, holding another as not worthy of life. Jesus says it is those things, those sins that will put you in the danger of the fires of hell. Now hang with me for just a moment because that Greek word Gehenna that we translate as hell in our New International Version in a number of different translations. Some of you might know this already, but Gehenna was a literal physical place. It was actually a trash dump that was set in a perpetual state of fire. And it was just on the backside of Jerusalem, just outside of the city. And that's where you took all your garbage. That's where you took all your waste. And it was a constant and blazing inferno where nothing good could live. And Jesus is saying to us and to these people who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount, that when you live with anger as the dominant disposition of your heart, when you live with contempt for other human beings, when you live believing that there are others who simply are beyond the value of life, when you live defining people as enemies, it is in that moment where the state of your soul is liable to the way of Gehenna. It is precisely in that moment when anger becomes the dominant characteristic of our lives that the internal mechanisms that guide us, that our heart and our mind and everything in between, we have the ability to be consumed with the blazing inferno, the trash dump where nothing good can happen. And anger consumes us and we slip slowly away from the vision of life that Jesus has given us here in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, don't murder. But Jesus wants to get to the issues of the heart and how anger can turn us into people that God never intended us to be. 
I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was back a few months ago in June. I rolled up on campus one morning and I got a phone call that, Will, you need to go around to the back of the building. And so I did. And when I got around to the back of the building here on our church campus, what did I find but lots of spray paint? Because someone had come in the middle of the night and painted some wonderful slogans on our building. Some of you might remember this. Christians are the problem. Another one that I really loved, and I think some of you might remember this one, huge on our walls. God is dead. Man, and I saw that graffiti, and my first thought, my first thought was not, ooh, I gotta find out who this is. My first thought was, what have we done to make someone feel this way? What have we done to create an impulse in someone's life, to create an anger in their soul that would lead them to do this. And so I got online that morning and I just typed something out on Facebook. I dropped it pretty early in the morning and just said, hey, look, no harm, no foul. I'm not angry at you. In fact, I love you. I love you and Jesus loves you. And what I want more than anything is simply to sit down with you and to have a cup of coffee to hear your story. Because when we sit at the table together, I have this strange feeling that you might find out you're wrong about Christians. I have this strange feeling that when we sit down together, you might actually begin to reconsider Jesus for yourself. And I dropped it online at about nine o'clock in the morning and this thing just blew up. It went viral and, and everybody was just sharing it and sharing it. And the hope was that this person who graffitied our buildings would reach out and I could sit down and talk to him and have a conversation. And I really didn't think it would ever happen. I hoped that it would, but I didn't really think that anything would come of it. And then the next night, I'm sitting at home on my couch at about 9.30, and I get a message. I get a Facebook message, and it's from Ellie, and Ellie says, I did it. Ellie said, I spray-painted your campus, and why didn't you put up the other things that I wrote? And she named off all the other graffiti that she had put on our buildings. And I said, look, I didn't put it up because it wouldn't be helpful. Some of the language was pretty rough. And I said, listen, I meant what I said. I'd love to meet with you. Have a cup of coffee. Okay. Okay, she said. But you're not going to convert me. It's not my goal. So y'all, the next morning I get up, drive to Starbucks off Bobby Jones Parkway. And at nine o'clock in the morning, I sit down. And right across from me at the table is Ellie. And Ellie is a 25-year-old transgendered girl. And I tell her that I'm glad to sit with her. And she says to, to me, what do you want? I said, Ellie, I just want to hear your story. And she said, I can't tell you my story because it's too hard to share. But here's a notebook and it's filled with my story, and you can read it if you'd like. And so I take it, and I read it, and I read page and page of anguish and hate and vitriol and pain that she has experienced in her life. And after a few, after a few minutes, I hand it back to her, and I said, Ellie, I think I know, and I'm sorry. And she had been told throughout the whole of her life that God hated her. 
And she had been told that she was an abomination. And so I, I looked at this friend, this new friend across the table, and I said to her, God doesn't hate you, and neither do I. I want you to know that Jesus loves you, and he has a plan for your life. And Ellie began to get agitated, and Ellie began to pick at her fingernails, and Ellie began to say to me, no, no, Jesus doesn't, and no, you don't. Christians are part of the problem, and she began to just rail about all the terrible things that Christians have done, and I told her, I'm sorry, I can't make up for those things, and yes, Christians have done terrible things, but we've also done a lot of beauty in this world. And we sat outside at Starbucks and our conversation continued on for about 20 minutes. And there reached a moment in our conversation where I looked at Ellie and there was a fire in her eyes as she railed against all the wrong that had been done to her and about all the Christians that had called her names and told her that she was terrible. And I looked at Ellie and I said, Ellie, I can see the anger in your eyes, and I can hear the anger in your voice, and you can't go on like this. Ellie, this anger is going to kill you. And she stared at me for just a moment, and then she looked at me with a solemn, broken expression on her face, and she said, Will, this anger is the only thing that is keeping me alive. And I looked back to this broken human being sitting across from me, and I said, With all due respect, my friend, you don't seem very alive to me. And this anger that you think is fueling you will ultimately lead to your destruction and you, my friend, will die a thousand different deaths before you ultimately pull the trigger. You don't seem very alive to me. And Jesus has a better way for you. And I look at this girl as tears stream down her face and she just can't let the anger go. <sighs> and I wish I could tell you that this coffee ended with her coming to faith in Jesus Christ and understanding the plan and the beauty and the grandeur that he has for her life. But that isn't what happened. She left filled with that rage. She left filled with that anger. And the kingdom of God was slowly slipping away. And I could not help but think about these words of Jesus where he tells us that it's not simply about following a rule, don't murder, but instead it is about the transformation of the human heart that will ultimately lead to life. And in this kingdom of God, there is no room for the anger that consumes us. And some of you are watching today. And you're sitting in your house, 
or, or maybe you're somewhere completely different, but you're watching this morning, and as I talk about that anger and that brokenness, you identify with it, and you feel it deep down in the depths of your soul. And I want to say to you the same thing that I said to her. Yes, people have done you wrong, and yes, people can be cruel, but that anger will lead you to the fires of hell. That vengeance will lead you to lose your humanity and become a raging inferno of nothing but garbage. Some of you are watching today and you need to know that the anger doesn't have a place in the kingdom of God. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. And I know that people have done you wrong, and I know that things haven't always gone your way, but the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ is that blessed are you when you are spit on and spat on. Blessed are you when you are broken and a loser because that's when the kingdom arrives and the beauty of this world is made known. In his book, the divine conspiracy, Dallas Willard in his section on anger has this to say. The anger always has in it an element of self-righteousness. When you find a person who has embraced anger, you ultimately find a person with a wounded ego. I know you're wounded, but don't stay with the anger don't let that contempt build up in your soul like the raging fire of hell. But today you can be free. You can live in a better way. And if I stopped right here in the sermon, that would still be good. But the good news for us, the great news for us is that Jesus doesn't just deconstruct an old way. He doesn't just say, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you, he reconstructs, he shows us a better way forward, a way that is filled with beauty and goodness and love. And beyond deconstruction and reconstruction, what makes this sermon and this section so incredibly powerful is that then he gives us concrete examples of how it looks to live with the transformed heart. <laughs> and he says, if you are living in that way where anger isn't a part of your life, if you're living in the goodness and the rightness of the kingdom, then, then you can be on your way to give your gift at the altar. And you will learn that your brother, you remember that a brother or a sister has something against you. And if you are living into that kingdom life that Jesus offers to us, then you will turn and you will leave your gift there. You will go, you will be made right, you will reconcile, and only then will you come back and give your offering. Now let's put that in context for just a few moments, friends. Because what Jesus is saying, when you go to the temple, and the altar is in the temple. When you go to the temple and the altar to give your sacrifice, to give your gift, friends, that is one of the most holy moments imaginable. The sacredness of that time is to be broken for virtually nothing. 
And yet Jesus says, in that most sacred of moments, if you remember with that transformed heart and that transformed mind, when you remember that someone has something against you, you will really remember what's important. And you will leave your gift and you will go and you will be made right. Because as the prophets of the Old Testament said, God doesn't want our sacrifice, but God wants our heart and our mercy and our goodness. And Jesus understood that the reconciliation of relationship, that being able to look at another human being and seeing in them not someone who is invaluable and not worth a life, but when we look at another human being, through the eyes of the kingdom of God, then we will see the divine image itself. Someone who has value, someone who is loved by God and with a transformed heart, they are loved by us. So leave that sacred moment. For some of us, it might be you're standing at the altar about to get married. And you need to go and be made right. For some of us, it might be you're standing at the door of Sanford Stadium, about to walk into your box seat for UGA Auburn. And you turn around and you go and be made right. That's the level of transformation that Jesus says is possible within the kingdom of God. If you're about to give your gift and you realize somebody holds something against you, Jesus says, leave it there, go and be made right, and only then come back. Now, this is the second beautiful thing about this little section. That remember, Jesus is teaching at the Galilee. He's teaching just outside of the Sea of Galilee, and the Galilee region is a three days journey from Jerusalem, a three days journey from the temple. And what Jesus says is, yeah, you've gone to Jerusalem, and you remember that somebody back home has something against you? Well, then drop that and go back. Three days there, three days back, because reconciliation is that level of importance, and the transformed heart understands the value of relationship. Jesus in fact is not being literal, but he's using an illustration to show us what is possible when our lives have been made new. The goal of this section of the Sermon on the Mount is to bring us to terms with what is in your heart. And some of us, as I said, are watching this morning and our hearts are filled with anger but others of us, we've embarked on this Jesus way and our lives have been made new and our lives have been so beautifully remade by Jesus. And the question that we need to ask ourselves today, who do you need to be reconciled with? Who do you need to go and with your sincerest attempt? And it might not always work out. Sometimes in spite of everything you do, Things can't be made right. But who is it that you need to go to today and try and be reconciled? In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, there's this incredible section. And I just want to read it to you because it's a solid reminder that not only does Jesus teach this, 
but so does the whole of the Christian movement. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter one. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. Get rid of the rage, my friends. Get rid of the anger and take on grace and love. Let your heart be transformed by the goodness of the gospel, just as Christ has forgiven us. And ultimately, friends, I can stand before you and I can preach this message of reconciliation and forgiveness and the good riddance of hate and anger in your life because, friends, we follow a Lord and we pledge our allegiance to a king who refused the way of anger himself. We follow a savior who said he would rather die than give in to the anger of the age. We can embrace an alternative way because Jesus refused the way of anger. And instead, he took on the anger of the Romans. He took on the anger of the Jews. He took on the anger of all of creation And he bore it on the cross for me and for you. And on that third day when he emerged from the tomb, what did we learn, my brothers and my sisters? We learned that love conquers hate and grace conquers anger and forgiveness triumphs over vengeance. And we learned that this kingdom of God has been burst wide open. Friends, these are not laws to follow. Don't be filled with anger. Don't say in your heart, you fool. They're not rules to follow. But they're an invitation to have your life remade in the image of God. So where today do you need to let the anger go? and embrace the invitation to newness of life. Friends, let's take a few moments now. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this morning, and we are grateful for these words of Jesus. And God, they are challenging us this morning. They are asking us to go into new places and, God, explore deep areas of our heart and our soul. So, God, on this morning, for my friends who are watching, and they are consumed with contempt, and they are bathing in anger, Lord, on this day, help them to embrace the way of Jesus. Help them to follow the way of the cross. God, not another list of things to do, but a way to live where forgiveness and beauty will reign forever. God, be with us now. Wherever my friends find themselves on this day, be with them. Speak to their heart, oh God. This is our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.